welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. The new decade that we have entered will be a decade of uh, mass struggle, massive insurrections, revolutionary uprisings. The question is whether we are able to learn the lessons, fully the lessons from the past decade. That's the voice of Jorge Marti, the Secretariat of Hands Off Venezuela. On this week's show, we speak to Jorge, recapping the social movements and uprisings in Latin America of 2019. Stay tuned. You are listening to Latin Ways. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Jorge Marti. He is the Secretariat of Hands Off Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge. Thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure for me to be, to be with you again. Now, it is the beginning of a decade. You know, 2020 has arrived, and with it, a new decade is here. I wonder if we could start by perhaps taking a look back at 2019 and what it has signified for social movements across uh, the lower cone of Latin America. South America seems to have been the highlight of 2019. There are perhaps two main features of 2019 in, in Latin America. One, which is uh, the offensive of the counter-revolution, which started just a year ago in, in January 2019 with the attempted coup in, uh, in Venezuela of uh, Juan Guaido and continued later on with the coup in uh, Bolivia in October, November last year. This is one, one side of the coin. The, the other side of the coin is that the year finished in Latin America with revolutionary events. Uh, this can be traced back all the way to the uprising in Puerto Rico in July last year when uh, mass movement overthrew the governor. Uh, the uprising in Haiti, which started in uh, February and hasn't finished yet and has cost uh, hundreds of people being killed as a result. There's been mass protests, uh, uprising and so on. And then, m- most importantly, the uprising in Ecuador, which lasted for about 10 days in, in October and managed to achieve some uh, victories in, in the face of brutal repression, put the government against the ropes. Uh, the pres- President Lenin Moreno had to leave the capital and the presidential palace in the face of a uh, massive uprising. Uh, and then the year finished with the, with the movement, insurrectionary movement in Chile, a uh, movement that Still not finished. Has still not finished. It started around the 18th of October, and has involved millions of uh, people. Again, has put the government against the uh, ropes, and represents, I think, the opening of a new period of revolutionary upheaval, which is taking place not only in Latin America but around the world uh, as well. We've seen the protests in, in Algeria, in Lebanon, in Sudan, in Iraq, and, and in other places. And I think it's all part of the same. Uh, process of uh, massive protests against the capitalist system and its impact in which the youth is playing a key role. And these this, uh, young people who you could say are the generation of the 2008 capitalist uh, recession. 
So, so yes, the, the continent in 2019 was marked both by counter-revolution uh, and successful in the case of Venezuela, successful in the case of Bolivia, but also by revolutionary movements in places uh, and the places where it was more the process was more advanced were, were Ecuador and, and Chile. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that significance of those movements, because with more than 30 years of neoliberalism, the right wing uh, movements have almost assumed, you know, a victory over our struggles. Can we talk a little bit about the the movement to not only reclaim uh, what has been lost, but also this movement to creating a more cohesive movement towards solidarity, towards creating uh, movements that are not just national, but international in nature? Yes, I think that um, Chile is a good example of this. In, in Chile, we've had 30 years since the end of the dictatorship in which uh, the economic experiment that was implemented under the military boot of the dictatorship continued after afterwards. Uh, policies of deregulation, opening up uh, public sector to private investment, privatization of um, services like healthcare, the pension system, uh, the deregulation of uh, attacks on labor law, attacks against the trade unions. Um, and this was presented as a model by the capitalists. Look, we've implemented these policies, unfettered capitalism or neoliberalism, as someone, some, some call it. And we've been successful. There's been economic growth. People have been lifted out of poverty. And Chile is a model for us. And not only this, Chile was also considered by many bourgeois commentators to be an oasis, oasis of social peace in a continent that had been, been riddled by revolutionary movements for most of the 2000s. And now this is, this is clearly come to an end. This facade of a social miracle, if you want, has been completely destroyed. And what's been revealed is that behind this facade of success, what there was was a massive concentration of wealth at the top, massive inequality, uh, really very difficult living conditions for the majority, including the pensioners in this new uh, private pension system. And this has now boiled over into a massive insurrection, which is uh, threatening to do away with all of the institutions of bourgeois, of bourgeois rule. Uh, the president is extremely unpopular. I think his, his popularity now is down to 6%. But Congress as a whole is, is uh, even more unpopular, having the support of only 3% of the population. The media, support for the media or trust for the media has collapsed. Same with the Catholic Church. The institutions of the state, like the police and the army, have collapsed because of, of the way they've been used to repress brutally this uh, movement. So it is, it is a really deep revolutionary process that is going on, which uh, sinks its roots in, in the previous period of attack, constant attacks, relentless uh, rollback of, of the gains of the past. But on the other hand, what is interesting about Chile is the beginning of the emergence of a new society within, within the old that is dying. We've seen the emergence of territorial assemblies, the cabildos abiertos, which is like uh, open town hall meetings or open councils. And they, they are at the forefront of this struggle. They have started to coordinate. 
and they have started to to fight back. And I will say that uh, the solution for the revolutionary crisis in Chile lies precisely in a government based on on the assemblies and the cabildos. The other thing that's important about Chile is, as you were saying, that movements no longer affect one country alone, but have influence beyond its borders. In uh, Chile, it's clear that the victory of the uprising in Ecuador just a few days uh, earlier had a big impact in Chile. The realization that you can win. If you struggle, you can win. And that had a big impact in, in Chile. Chile itself had a big impact on Colombia. In Colombia, there's been a big movement going on. Today, there's a national strike. But the movement started on the 20th of uh, November. And the movement in Colombia has been greatly, was greatly inspired by the movements in Ecuador, in Chile. In Chile, for instance, the people have set up uh, self-defense committees for the demonstrations, and they call, they call them Primera Línea, the first line of fire, if you want. And uh, in Colombia, they created exactly the same organizations, Primera Línea, to defend the demonstrations and the demonstrators from, from the brutal attacks of the, of the police repression. So yes, Chile is an indication of what's happening worldwide. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a movement that's very radical, that questions everything, that starts to create its own um, organisms of power from below, and that has then an impact on other countries. And while we are seeing an uprising uh, of social movements, um, it's also important to note uh, the challenges we have faced, you know, with the election of right-wing governments in Brazil, you know, in the region, and now the the coup in Bolivia um, signals also a new level of aggression, you know, as we see their goal being stolen, a similar uh, act is, that seems to be repeated in every country that undergoes a coup. Can we talk a little bit about the right wing's aggression also during this time mm-hmm. of social movements. Yes, um, since the election victory of uh, Macri, the right wing president in Argentina in 2015, there has been a lot of talk in Latin America, bourgeois commentators uh, and others, about the death of the left in Latin America or about a conservative wave uh, in Latin America meaning that uh, now we have right-wing governments, that people have voted for these governments, and therefore these governments have, have a solid mandate, and these are strong governments and so on. But I, I will say that this is not true. What has happened in, in Latin America is that uh, a number of uh, right-wing governments have come to power, some through elections, like in, uh, in Argentina, some through trickery, like in Ecuador, some through constitutional maneuvering, like in uh, Brazil, uh, the jailing of, of Lula in order to prevent him from standing in the elections against Bolsonaro and things like this. But in reality, what this uh, reflects is not a shift to the right on the part of the electorate. It's not the people who used to vote for left-wing governments now voting for right-wing demagogues. This is not the case, or at least this is not the main factor for, for these uh, victories of the, of the right. I will say that the main factor is, the, is that left-wing governments or progressive governments of different shades and, and colorations were in power for a long time, were in power for maybe 10 years, uh, in, in between 2005, 2015 approximately. And these governments benefited 
from very high prices of raw materials. So it was possible for some of these governments to implement social programs in the fields of healthcare, education, poverty alleviation, and so on, housing, without going beyond the limits of capitalism. But when, when uh, and this created the illusion that you could have something like uh, oil socialism, a socialism that is, is carried out not on the basis of expropriating the capitalists and the multinationals, but, but rather by using the oil uh, revenue or, or other raw materials revenue. But when in 2014, 2015, the, 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 the cycle of very high prices of raw materials came to an end, particularly because of the, of the slowdown of growth in China, these governments entered into crisis and uh, their limitations were revealed. They could no longer spend massive amounts of money in social programs. And because they chose to stay within the limits of capitalism to make uh, concessions and uh, agreements with the local and multinational capitalists, then the limitations were revealed to, for, for the many to, to see. And this led to demoralization amongst a layer of the people who had been voting for these governments. And through abstention in the main, right-wing uh, victories were achieved. For instance, in, in Argentina in 2014, 2015, it wasn't so much that a lot of people voted for the right, but that not many, not enough people voted for for the Kirchner candidate, uh, who was who was himself a candidate of the right wing of the Kirchnerist uh, movement. But in any case, this did not mean that these new governments, Bolsonaro, Macri, Duque in Colombia. These governments were not strong governments with a strong social basis. On the contrary, these governments have proven to be very weak. Uh, Macri faced five general strikes, was severely defeated in the primary elections in August, and finally was booted out of power in uh, November, October, November last year. And uh, when he was removed, he was already very weak, and he was unable during his time in office, to carry out the necessary counter-reforms that the ruling class wanted, the reforms of the pension system, created a massive uprising, uh, and he didn't dare introduce the labor reform. In Brazil, the Bolsonaro government has been in power for one year, and he, he was elected with, with a large majority. But now he's lost massive amounts of uh, popular support. There has been a general strike, a mass movement of the students, the government is divided into three different factions fighting each other, and it's not a strong government. Duque, who was also elected on the size of a majority, is now extremely unpopular. I think his, his popularity has gone down to 14%. Duque in Colombia, there has been this movement of the national strike that's been going on since the 20th of uh, November. Uh, today, there was another national strike. Uh, there is a growing movement against uh, Duque, which goes beyond what is the traditional support for the, for the left. And so I will reject any notions of, of right-wing shift in Latin America, uh, but it's true that the right-wing governments that have been elected are very vicious and reactionary, like the Bolsonaro government, the government of Duque, but they do not have a blank check from the electorate. They do not have a strong social basis of support and on the contrary, every time they try to introduce reactionary measures, which they do, they are met with massive protests, general strikes, mass movements of the youth. So this is the situation that we, we live now in Latin America. One 
which is not one of uh, stabilization of right-wing governments, but rather of an increased, heightened class struggle. Uh, Bolivia is a bit of a different uh, case. The demoralization with the Evo Morales government, with its shortcomings, led to a situation that when, when the right-wing organized the coup, the same right-wing that Evo Morales had been trying to compromise with, when the right-wing organized the coup, the response of the workers and peasants wasn't as strong as it had been, for instance, in 2008, when they defeated the coup attempt. And it was limited to two areas in the country, uh, El Alto, the working-class neighborhood near city, near, near La Paz, the capital, and the Chapare region in, in, the, in the tropics of Cochabamba. Uh, instead of being a nationwide movement against the coup, it was limited to these two areas. And so the coup government was able to put it down. There were two massacres in Senkata and Sakaba, and they, and they managed to subdue the movement, at least, at least for now. But there will be also resistance in, in Bolivia. The situation has not been stabilized from the point of view of the coup. There's new elections coming up. There's new protests coming up uh, tomorrow and the day after. And uh, it will be difficult to establish a strong, stable right-wing government anywhere in, in the continent, in the current conditions of capitalist crisis. I will say that one, one of the things that the United States administration underestimated in relation to Venezuela is the extent of the anti-imperialist feeling of the people, which, which comes from 15 years of a, of a revolutionary process. It was very clear for everyone that Guaido was not acting on his own, that he proclaimed himself a president, and, and half an hour later, Trump had tweeted his, his recognition of his so-called presidency. So it was very clear for everyone in Venezuela, opposition supporters or government supporters, that this was an outside maneuver. And this made him even more unpopular, made it, made it more difficult for him to gather popular support. And so the opposition, which is as always based on the middle class and upper middle class layers in the, in the east of, the, of Caracas and other cities, was unable to penetrate into the working class and the poor neighborhoods. People there might have their criticisms of the government, they might uh, have complaints, they might even mobilize for different things, but they will never fall behind an operation which is clearly led by imperialism. So, so that's one, one thing that they, they completely miscalculated. There were, in the first months of last year, massive demonstrations against the coup, against the imperialism. These were mostly not reported outside of Venezuela, but this did take place, and this helped tore up uh, the government and uh, prevent its overthrow by, by Guaido. The other thing is, the United States imperialism also miscalculated on another thing. They thought that just by threatening military intervention, they would force the military to side with Guaido. And this was not the case, because in reality, the military in Venezuela understood that uh, no country was really prepared to go for a military intervention for different reasons. But it was clear that the, the army generals in Brazil said, no, we're not going to get involved because a crisis in Venezuela, military intervention, will spill over to Brazil. It will not be very easy to win. We can go in, but it will be more difficult to go out. In the United States, there is no appetite for military intervention after the failed campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan. 
and uh, the government of Colombia also wasn't very keen uh, in in attacking Venezuela. They're all in favor of the United States attacking uh, Venezuela, but they don't want to take the initiative themselves. A military intervention in Venezuela, direct military intervention by imperialism, will mean revolution throughout uh, the continent. And this is the last thing that the Trump administration uh, needs. Trump was convinced, probably by people like Bolton and others, that this was going to be an easy operation, that Guaido was going to proclaim himself, uh, countries were going to recognize him, and then the, the, the Maduro government will just fold up and the army will fight with Guaido. And this is not what, uh, this is not what happened. And so they, the, the, the bluff of military intervention was called, and then they realized there was nothing behind it. I don't know if you remember, but Bolton, the, the national security advisor, former national security advisor, had in a press conference, he had a notepad, and in the notepad he'd read or scribbled something about sending troops to Venezuela. But the Venezuelan army knew that this was not true, and everyone knew that this was just a bluff. And so, uh, because they were not prepared to, to follow up, follow through with their threats, then their hand was strongly uh, weakened in uh, Venezuela. But I would say that, yes, one of the main factors was that they underestimated the enormous and very healthy anti-imperialist feeling of the Venezuelan uh, masses, which are not prepared to allow foreign power to decide who the president was going to be. The coup in Bolivia has proven um, to be... Um a loss, I think, for many for many people across the world, uh, seeing an indigenous uprising, you know, with Evo Morales being the first indigenous president. Yes, uh, first of all, we need to stress that this was a coup, because some, some people are arguing that it wasn't a coup, that uh, Morales resigned, that this was a popular uprising, and it was not, it was clearly not. Uh, first of all, Evo Morales resigned because attended his resignation because he was forced to by the army. I mean, in any country in the world, if the army high command comes out on a, on a press conference and says, we suggest that, uh, that the president should resign, everyone understands that this is not just a suggestion, in inverted commas, this, this is an order. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be in a press conference. They, they will just be talking, talking to the president behind, behind the scenes. Uh, this was accompanied by a mutiny in the police, and basically the police and the army refused to follow the orders of the of the government. They carried out the, the coup. They were key elements within this coup. Not only this, but then when Yanez proclaimed herself to be the new president, she immediately had to take to to bring the military and the police out on the streets and join uh, patrols in order to uh, crush the the resistance. That, that means that the government was resting on the power of the military. This was a military coup, which had other elements in it, but it was, in the main, it was a military coup. Now, what follows? What I would say, this is the most important thing, is to try to, end the, the movement in, in Bolivia needs to discuss and understand the reasons why it was defeated, uh, in order to correct those mistakes and move forward uh, and fight against uh, the new right-wing government that is in place uh, now. And also, I think there is a danger of concentrating too much on the electoral struggle, which is in uh, May, because on the electoral plane, 
the left has a disadvantage. And the disadvantage is the fact that Yanez is in power and uh, she is using all the power of the state in order to suppress the opposition and weaken the mass by arresting its leaders, persecuting its uh, activists, closing down its uh, offices, and so on. This is not a normal democratic uh, election, even by bourgeois standards. This is uh, a military uh, regime that came to power on the basis of a military coup that is exercising legal and illegal means of suppressing the, the opposition. And this, therefore, can only be fought by mass mobilization of the people in the streets. And people will only mobilize if they have clear objectives. If the objective is just to say uh, we want to bring Evo back, that's not going to mobilize the majority of people because many people were already a bit skeptical about this uh, government, particularly in the last mandate. The mobilization should be around the basic questions, question of mineral rights, rights of indigenous uh, people, the question of wages, the question of trade union rights, uh, the question of economic policy, and all of this, uh, which the right wing will attack along the line and that uh, the social movements, the indigenous, the peasants, the workers, the miners, need to defend in a united front, which can, uh, can withstand the assault of this of this reactionary cool, cool government. Talk a little bit about what inspires you then about this new decade. We have a magazine, it's called America Socialista, and we just uh, printed a new edition, and in the front page you have a picture of, uh, which is a very iconic picture, taken by a Chilean actress about the, the movement in Chile, and it's uh, the Plaza Dignidad, Dignity Square, taken over by the demonstrators, and they're waving all sorts of flags, Chilean flags, protest flags, and at the top there's a Mapuche flag, the flag of the indigenous people of of Chile. And uh, across this we have written the headline, Latin America in in revolution. I think that this is (coughs) what is coming. What is coming is is a sharpening of the class struggle, but also a situation where when the workers and peasants start to move, there's no force that can stop them, really. In Chile, they've tried everything. They've tried repression. Hundreds of people have lost uh, the use of, the, of their eyes because of direct repression by the, by the carabineros, uh, by the police. Thousands of people have been injured. Thousands have been uh, arrested. And, and this has not stopped the movement. Then the government has also tried to make cosmetic repre- uh, concessions. And this has had no impact. The movement continues very strongly perhaps not at the same level as in November, December, but, the, but the, the opposition to the government is still as big as it was at that time, if not bigger. So this is what really makes me hopeful that the new decade that we have entered will be a decade of mass struggle, massive insurrections, revolutionary uprisings. The question is whether we are able to learn the lessons, fully the lessons from the past decade, and make sure that this time we achieve a proper victory, a victory that is not only serves to perhaps regulate or tinker about with the edges, rough edges of the capitalist system, but a victory that means that workers and peasants take power and they run the country and the economy in the benefit of the majority in one country or another. And a victory in one country will have massive impact, a domino effect 
throughout the continent and throughout uh, the world. Thank you so much for those very hopeful and inspiring words. You're more welcome. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement.